Hey, everyone. It's Rima. So we're currently away working on some new stories for y'all. But if you want to stay updated on our whereabouts or be the first to know about our new episodes, you can sign up for our newsletter at marketplace.org slash comfort. That link is also in the show notes. In the meantime, we're going to re-air a few of our favorite episodes. And since this is a time of the year where a lot of us are getting together with our loved ones, you know, the people who we spend a lot of time and energy on, figured it makes sense to bring back our episode about the unpaid labor we often do at home. All right, here it is. When I was about nine years old, my dad called me downstairs. I was playing Nintendo, so I paused the game and quickly marched down. We had just moved into our first house in North Carolina, so there were boxes and things scattered everywhere. And my dad, he was standing in the middle of it all. And when he saw me, he pointed at the landline sitting on his desk and told me to record my voice on the answering machine. That moment was the start of my very first job as the family translator. Hi, this is Rima Khreis, and you've reached This is Uncomfortable, a podcast about life and how money messes with it. (laughs) This week, we're looking at why the jobs we do in our families are so important. We don't get paid for them, and not saying you should, but they can have a real impact on the financial and emotional well-being of your family. When my dad asked me to record that message, I was pretty intimidated. I spent over an hour obsessively cycling through my lines. Would I tell callers they've reached the Grace family, or would I Americanize it and say, you've reached the Grace family? I went with Grace. As a kid, it felt like a very big deal to me, and it turns out it was a big deal to my dad, too. Because, you know, I was thinking about having my own voice on it, and I said, I started to think, hmm, probably people will not even understand what I'm talking about. My dad, like a lot of immigrants, can be self-conscious about his English. My parents raised us in the South, in North Carolina, and he didn't want people to be turned off or just confused by his Palestinian accent. Even today, when he talks, he'll choose his words carefully. You know, there's certain words that has uh, a P in it. Uh, Sometimes I try to avoid that because the P comes out as, as a B. Yeah, because there's, there isn't a P in Arabic. No, there is no P in Arabic. <laughs> Are you afraid to say the word like pitch or something like that? Yes, yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> so to make sure at a baseball game he doesn't say something like, oh, that was a good bitch, my dad, as much as he could, turned to me. Well, you know, I was always, always pushing you to uh, speak up for me. <laughs> mm. Growing up, helping my dad in this way always felt like a weird reversal of roles. But I think it's pretty common in immigrant families. Did you ever feel like guilty leaning on us too much? No, no. It's out of necessity that uh, you, you look at your kids to um, help you um, with the process of, of daily life, basically. So if annoying telemarketers would call, he'd hand me the phone to deal with it. Or if we're going through a Wendy's drive through I'd be sure to put in the order and get extra fries. And eventually, my job evolved to helping him write emails, holiday cards. I mean, it was always comforting to know that if I have to do a certain paperwork or, or a critical email, I had that comfort, you know, that I said, you know what, I'm going to have Rima double-check this before I, before mm. I send it out. Mm. 
Sure, there were definitely critical emails, but also I'd sometimes proofread notes to fellow soccer parents reminding them to bring snacks or messages to his coworkers about changing their schedule. I will ask you, you know, make, make this kind of funny. Yeah? And this is, this is the idea that I have in my head. It's also this weird balance whenever I helped you write emails where it's like wanting to sound professional and funny and, you know, all of these things, but also make sure it sounds like you. <laughs> and you know what? I had a gut, gut feeling that you were doing that. As a kid, editing emails for my dad always felt like a chore. And it's a chore that actually still happens today. Rima. Just a few weeks ago, when I was home in North Carolina visiting my family, my dad called me over to his desk. Just go ahead and sit down. Just uh-huh. He fixed the little seat cushion so I could get comfortable and asked me to edit away. Okay, as a matter of fact, I filled out blah, 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 blah. My dad, who's a nurse anesthetist, was just drafting an email about work reimbursements. Yeah, I would just see the dollar sign. I would just remove the space. No, um, no, the next one. This one? Yeah. Uh, remove that, remove that. Just remove yeah. that space. Uh, okay, okay. Honestly, I barely touched what he wrote. It's always been just a few words here and there, or I'll drop in some exclamation marks. No matter what, though, my dad's reaction is always the same. He thinks I'm a genius. He'll often reread the email, literally take a step back, call my mom over, and give praise as if he had just witnessed the feats of a child prodigy. After you're done with it, we look back and said, wow, that's really much better. Uh, we, we thought always you're, 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 you're gifted in this. To be clear, he is not saying I was gifted in writing complex literature or incisive essays. He's talking about my ability to fix run-on sentences and replace adjectives like good with great. As a teenager, the whole thing felt a little ridiculous. Like, in my head, I think, he can just do this himself. But at the same time, I took my role very seriously. Too seriously. You used to get so mad at me really? for not leaving a space after a comma and this or after a period. Baba, Baba, there should be a space after this comma. <laughs> oh my God, I'm annoying. My role today, though, feels a little obsolete. At this point, I know my dad doesn't really need my help anymore. He's perfectly capable of getting his point across, but he's a perfectionist. If you're not around, I, I will look at it like, you know, hundred times before I send it out. You do reread your emails a lot. Sometimes even even I uh, I sleep over, overnight and look at the, 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 the before. And it's only like, you know, two sentences. <laughs> like, what do you think you're afraid of um, when it comes to sending an email that's not perfect? I don't know. You don't want to sound or look. Um, not as a smart. You want to make that email make you sound that you're part of the group, that the email is is not written uh, in a way that people will go, who is this person? I never realized my dad felt like that. Like, a misplaced comma or double space could remind people that he didn't grow up here. That, you know, co-workers or soccer parents might see those mistakes and assume he didn't know what he was talking about. I wasn't just copy editing. I was helping him assimilate and sound, I don't know, more American, whatever that means.
I think these jobs we take on in our families end up shaping a lot of how we see ourselves, and sometimes even the careers we go after. Like, I wonder if I would have had the confidence to pursue a career that hinges on writing had it not been for my dad's wild affirmations. Growing up, it gave me a sense of purpose and a knack for telling dad jokes. Coming up after the break, one couple cannot stop fighting over one of the most dreaded household jobs. Talking to your backseat babies about money can be so hard. In fact, you probably don't even know where to start. So that's where the newest version of the Million Bazillion Academy steps in, our email newsletter course. You can start whenever, and you'll get a new lesson each week that you and your kids can complete at your own pace. They'll learn about crypto, the stock market, and so much more. And best of all, it's free. Million Bazillion Academy, making kids smarter about money. Sign up today at marketplace.org academy. When Mutual Friends introduced Curtis Staples and Alexis Kirk back in the summer of 2010, their meet was far from cute. We had a lot of uh, rude back-and-forth banter for two people that had just met. So, like, flirting? Mm. No. (laughs) Wait, what's If you consider, like, insult contests flirting, sure. (laughs) Yeah, they were feeling each other. They discovered they both grew up in the same North Carolina town but had just never crossed paths. They started dating, and after a year, they moved in together. You know, I feel like you get to know someone on a different level when you live with them. Mm -hmm. Um, And so for me, I feel like it was a good way to, like, get to know Curtis and learn all of his annoying secret habits before (laughs) we got married. (laughs) What were some of those annoying secret habits? Well, perfect segue, not washing the dishes. It's the kind of thing people divorce over. No, like, seriously. Last year, this study from Harvard Business School found that a quarter of new divorces in the U.S. were over housework. And generally speaking, research shows partners who fight over this stuff are more likely to end their relationship. Chores can feel like a second job, and negotiating who will do what and to what standard can be tricky. But for Alexis and Curtis in the beginning, it wasn't really a problem. Curtis did a lot of it. I do almost all of the cleaning, except for the mirrors. Mm -hmm. Uh, And we split laundry. And then I do dishes and she cooks. Because I just enjoy cooking so much. So it's not even really like a chore to me. But after a few months of living together, it started getting dicey when it came to the dishes. I can cook somewhat. I know how many dishes should be used. There was definitely more than there was supposed to be as far as I'm concerned. She will use like a spatula once, just stir the pot, and then put it in the dirty dishes. And we go through like six spatulas a night. And in my defense, I make gourmet meals. And Curtis's cooking is like one pot of goulash. So yes, it takes one pot and one spoon. They laugh about it now, but a pattern began to emerge that started to drive Alexis nuts. The way I was raised, and I worked in a restaurant kitchen for Mm -hmm. a couple years after I graduated, and so it's just ingrained in my DNA, like, you don't leave a dirty kitchen behind. 
And for Curtis, the timeline was just a little different. I very much want to uh, do all of the dishes at once, you know, a couple of times a, a week and not feel like I have to do a chore at the end of every right. single day before I end my day. I can't really blame him. I don't always do my dishes every day. I mean, I definitely don't. And Curtis comes from a big family, and that's how they did it growing up. So nearly every night, Alexis and Curtis had the same argument. Alexis would cook a big gourmet meal, and Curtis would say he'd do the dishes, but later. You know, in the back of my mind, I would just constantly be thinking, like, oh, those dirty dishes are over there. Oh, this is so not relaxing because these dirty dishes sitting in the sink are occupying my mind and, like, I can't relax. She was complaining about them all the time. Yes, every day. It was, like, the nagging thing where I'm like, oh, don't you want to come do these dishes before you sit down and watch TV? And Curtis is like, nope, I don't. I'll do them later. And so then that leads to either, like, quibbling about it or me just doing the dishes. Here we go again. Why can't y'all put your heads together and think of something to make everybody happy? That's Alexis's mom, Denise. She would come over for dinner a couple times a week and was getting really tired of Alexis and Curtis bickering over the dishes every night. And frankly, the dishes were getting to her, too. They're pile pods. I mean, plates, bowls, spoons. Both sides of the sink would be full. Do you remember one of the, like, the nastiest things you saw? Probably oatmeal. Yeah. Because it's like glue, and it won't come off. And then you've got greasy pans, and then the ants decided they wanted to feed. What? They're ants? Yes. Yeah. Oh. And it's like, they didn't tell me it was this bad. Yeah. It's like, if you're going to leave food out, you're just telling the ants to come eat. Then, finally, one night, it reached a boiling point. Alexis's mom is over again. It's just after dinner. They're sitting around the kitchen table. And we were having our pretty standard argument about who's doing the dishes now that dinner is done. And Alexis's mom, she is great. But on this particular night, uh, they were they were ganging up on me uh, to make sure that the dishes got done. Mm-hmm. I was not having it, saying, you know, let's just leave them in there. I'll get them tomorrow. So they're ganging uh, up on you? Yeah, I'm being attacked. Oh, my God. So on this particular night, Denise steps in as the voice of reason. Okay, let's put our heads together. We're going to figure something out. You want this. You want this. How can we get this thing to work out? My mom was like... What is it worth to you to have Curtis do the dishes when you want them done Mm -hmm. so that you guys don't have to fight about it anymore? It came down to, okay, I'm going to pay Curtis to do the dishes. Wait, you're going to pay him? Mm Mm-hmm. Yep. Denise, what? She's proposing Alexis pay Curtis $100 each month to do the dishes At first, Alexis refuses to even consider it. Why should I have to pay Curtis to do something that he has said he's going to do anyway? Like, Mm -hmm. this is ridiculous. So I was like, this is so dumb, blah, blah, blah. (laughs) And my mom was like, listen, like, we're coming to an agreement before we get up from this table. Denise tells Alexis she wouldn't actually be paying for Curtis to do the dishes when she wants. What she's actually paying for 
is sanity. If that's all it is, and if that gets it done and you're going to be happy, just spend it. You know, my mom was like, think about it as paying to never have to have this conversation ever again. Alexis is in, but she negotiates. She wants a little discount. Instead of paying Curtis $100, she proposes 75 and agrees she'll put the dishes away after they're clean. And they agreed that Curtis doesn't have to do the dishes immediately. As long as they're done before dinner the next day, he gets $75 a month. Seems like a pretty nice deal for Curtis. You know, the, the money piece of it is not super important, but it it's an agreement I can get behind. Like, you know, and dollars per hour for washing the dishes. Like, I get paid pretty well. <laughs> um, so, it, you know, all, all in all, it, it works out. So when I first heard about this, I thought it was wild. But I wonder if, like, on a deeper level, it's actually really smart. There was a huge survey last year, the same one I mentioned before, that found when couples spend money to save time, like paying someone to clean, they had happier relationships. That's because they had more time to spend together and didn't have to stress or fight about whatever needed to get done. Obviously, not every couple has the luxury of doing that, and that's not exactly what Alexis and Curtis did. But the idea is similar. They found a solution rooted in money that got rid of the conflict altogether. And it's not lost on them how ridiculous the whole thing sounds or looks, you know, paying a man to do the dishes while for centuries women have been expected to do the work for free. But that doesn't get to Alexis. I also think there are other things in our household, you know, that are, you know, typically the woman's role that Curtis does a lot of. So it it doesn't bother me. And to be clear, Curtis in the past did do the dishes. But now with their agreement, he just gets them done on Alexis's timeline. And since that night, they haven't fought about the dishes at all. Like, not even once. Why do you think it works? Because it was such a black-and-white transactional relationship, it took the feelings and the emotion mm. out of it. And so mm. it no longer is—when we do talk about it, the discussion is no longer charged with emotion. Yeah. It becomes more of a job, it sounds like. Yeah. You all, like, made it into a literal job, I guess, if you're getting paid. <laughs> it is It is a literal job. The work we do at home is complicated. It can be hard to hold each other accountable. And if it's not done in the ways we want, it's easy to feel resentful. For Alexis and Curtis, like they said, it's not so much about the money. It's just coming up with a system that works for them. Because who knows what would have happened otherwise. We probably would have continued to argue for... Years. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe it would have driven us apart. We may never know. Aww, hopefully not. Divorce by dishes. These roles we take on in our families, whether it's doing the dishes or being a translator, they hold a lot of value. Sometimes they even help us financially thrive. I went on Twitter and asked you all, if we think about the roles we play in our families as jobs, what's yours? I got a lot of responses, and turns out a lot of you all are mediators, or as one person puts it, a conflict resolution specialist. It can take the form of anything from what restaurant are we going to eat at to de-escalating a, <laughs> a, um, a rising tension between two people. Other popular jobs include in-house tutor, personal shopper, financial advisor, IT consultant. I've always been the tech guy in the family. I mean, they're not dumb, but like... 
sometimes I struggle. <laughs> and then there's my personal favorite, finder of lost objects. I think it's more like a detective thing. Like, I know it hasn't left the house. It's definitely here somewhere. Things I've found over the years, definitely wallets, eyeglasses, one shoe. <laughs> You can find me on Twitter at Rima Jerez. You can also shoot us an email at uncomfortable at marketplace.org. If you like the show, please rate and review us. That'd be awesome. This week's episode was produced by me, Rima Jerez, Haley Hirschman, and Peter Balanon-Rosen. Megan Dietry is our senior producer. Charlton Thorpe is our technical director. Editing by Sarah Kramer. Muna Danish is our intern. Sotara Nieves is the executive director of On Demand. Deborah Clark is the senior vice president and general manager of Marketplace. Theme music is by Wonderly. Special thanks to Eliza Mills, Sarah Menendez, Donna Tam, Allison Vermeulen, Annika Houston, and Tony Wagner. This is Uncomfortable. It's funded in part by the Sci Sims Foundation, which supports advances in education, scientific research, and the arts. Divorced by dishes. That would have been a wash. You get it? Because <laughs> they would have gotten divorced over dishes. Talking to your backseat babies about money can be so hard. In fact, you probably don't even know where to start. So that's where the newest version of the Million Bazillion Academy steps in, our email newsletter course. You can start whenever, and you'll get a new lesson each week that you and your kids can complete at your own pace. They'll learn about crypto, the stock market, and so much more. And best of all, it's free. Million Bazillion Academy, making kids smarter about money. Sign up today at marketplace.org slash academy.